This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Hello, I'm Fred Sievert, the former president of New York Life Insurance Company. On Dr. Karen's show today, I've talked about some very important business-related concepts and integrating your faith in the workplace and some key business tips and principles. Those integrations of business tips and faith enabled me to go from a teacher of junior high school mathematics to an executive at New York Life Insurance and ultimately as president of the company. So I hope you'll watch. How does a faith-based Fortune 100 corporate executive live out his faith and values in the secular workplace? What are the challenges of being a committed Christian and a Fortune 100 company president? Let's find out today from my special guest. Let me introduce you today to my special guest, Fred Sievert. For six years, Fred Sievert was president of New York Life Insurance Company, a Fortune 100 corporation. In his career, Fred enjoyed many successes and some stresses, challenges, as well as some serious setbacks. Through it all, he credits his success to a reliance on daily prayer, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and his relationship with Jesus Christ. The author of three books, in 2021, Fred published his third book titled Fast Starting a Career of Consequence, Practical Christ-Centered Advice for Entering or Re-Entering the Workforce. Fred earned a BA from Amherst College, an MA from Wayne State University, and an MAR from Yale Divinity School. In addition to remaining active throughout his career in industry activities, Fred also regularly participated in civic and volunteer activities in his local community and church. He and his wife, Sue, have five grown children and five grandchildren. So welcome, Fred, to the show. So glad to have you today. Thank you, Dr. Karen. A pleasure to be with you. I'm absolutely delighted that you're here with us because you have a lot of wisdom to share, and I just want to get started and jump right in. And so I know that originally, Fred, you started your career as a teacher, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Tell us about your interest in teaching, and how is it that you got from teaching to president of New York Life? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a fairly long story, but I'll try to make it short. Uh, I, I always have had a passion for impacting the lives of others, especially young people. And that's why I went into teaching. And I love teaching. I was, I was a teacher for seven years. But it was during the Vietnam era, and there was a glut of teachers in my career. My career in teaching, every year I would get a pink slip indicating that I may or may not have my job in the fall. So I had a degree in mathematics. I went, I took the actuarial exams. And that led me into the insurance business uh, initially. 
Uh, and then once I was in the insurance business, you know, I really, I really uh, got to know the Lord. I relied on Him and on the Holy Spirit to guide me every day. I always tried to act with humility and gratitude and deep integrity. And I think as a result of hard work and those principles and values, you know, I enjoyed a number of promotions over the years and uh, ultimately uh, became the president of New York Life. That's quite a journey. So let me ask this. Some people think that corporate leadership and Christian faith do not go together. So in your role as president of a large Fortune 100 company, how were you able to balance faith, family and career? You know, when you started that question, it occurred to me that even early in my career, I sometimes felt like I was a Christian on Sunday, a family man on Saturday, and a, a business person or executive the rest of the week. And the truth is, you're all those things all the time. And uh, you mentioned my third book, Fast Starting a Career of Consequence. In that book, what was really great about that book from my perspective is it integrated both my faith and my business experience. In terms of balance, I had a, uh, I'll just quickly go through my, my daily routine for a number of years was I got up at four in the morning, I exercised on an exercise bike. At the same time, I was sending emails to my kids and my wife every day. And then when I got done with that, I read from the Bible and went through my daily prayer list. Uh, so before 6 a.m. every day, I, I had uh exercise. I had communicated with the family members. I had spoken to God through prayer, and I heard through, heard from God through scripture reading. You know, it's always better to interact with your family directly, one-to-one, face-to-face, but that was a way to stay connected. And one other thing I'll mention is I had a practice, and I hope some of your viewers will uh, incorporate it themselves, and that is I took each one of my five kids on a trip with me every year alone, one-on-one, uh, somewhere for a weekend. It could be, you know, in a hotel down the road for a young child, or it could get more extravagant than that as they got older. But it was a great bonding experience. And I think of any, if I had a legacy at New York Life, it really was telling stories about those trips with the kids, because it was so impactful in, in my family life. And many people have sent me emails and notes even now, long after retirement, saying thank you for sharing that with us because I've adopted the same practice. That's really wonderful. I love the way you talk about how you started your day and you started it on a spiritual note and you also had your family in mind too. I want to talk a little bit about both. First, let me ask about the family. Some people might be sitting at home and wondering, well, exactly what was he writing to his, his wife and children about in these notes? What kinds of things were you saying in those notes? Well, you know, it was always very short. Uh, I knew what was happening in all their lives, so I might ask a question about something. It was always quite short. I always ended it by saying, uh, I love you and I'm very proud of you. Many times I didn't get a response unless I said, please acknowledge receipt of this message. <laughs> and, and I'd get a two-word response, which was, got it. But, but I knew they cared because if there happened to be a day when I missed doing that, like I was out of the country or whatever, uh, invariably one of the kids would say, hey, Dad, what's up? No email today? It meant a lot to them and to me. You know, I think that's really an important point because a lot of times children act as though they're not paying attention or they really don't care about these things when in fact they do. 
And it's not until much later after, you know, we've invested all this time and energy thinking we're speaking to the wind or speaking to ourselves (laughs) and we find out it really did matter. They weren't really paying attention after all. (laughs) Think about something in a parallel, Fred, with this, because you were talking to God, okay, every day too, and, and allowing God to speak to you through the Bible. And if you think of yourself as a son of God, in a sense, you're having a conversational relationship every morning with your heavenly father. How did that impact your day and your work life? The prayers that I uh, put forth in the morning every day really were intercessional prayers for others. I had a long prayer list. I never, even at work, prayed about, you know, hitting a sales goal or a profit objective or getting a promotion or more compensation. I never prayed for that. It was more about being a good role model for my employees, acting with integrity and so forth. So that's that morning start, you know, I think I think it's just so valuable to reach out in prayer for other people. I think the Lord uh, rewards that. And I was doing that every day. So, be, you know, before most people were out of bed in the morning, I had had a pretty good start to the day. I really like that. I really like what you're saying about it wasn't about you. You were interceding for other people. And when you think about a leader, that's what a leader does. I mean, we think about Jesus as the great shepherd. He's shepherding the sheep. He's caring for the sheep and what's happening to the flock more than thinking about himself. And so you're following that pattern as well and just getting yourself aligned on a regular basis, being in touch with what you value, what's important to you letting your day be jump-started with all of that as well. And, and with that lens towards really caring about others. Absolutely. Yep. Including your family. <laughs> so, so let me right. ask this, Fred, what unique skills and gifts would you say that you have, including if, even if they're spiritual gifts that really prepared you for this career? One of the things I, I mentioned in the first chapter of the book you referred to, Fast Starting a Career Consequence, the first chapter is about identifying and utilizing your spiritual gifts at work. I think we all have a unique combination, maybe not a unique combination, but a combination of spiritual gifts that can actually come into play in the workplace. In my case, it was a strong faith. It was a, a financial acumen, uh, leadership uh, qualities those kinds of things were really came out very clearly when I took spiritual gift assessment uh, tools and tests. And it came out very clearly that those were the kinds of things that were, were my gifts. And my skills also on the financial side, I, w- I was a math major, I was an actuary, so I had a good background for what I was doing. And not necessarily to be a top executive leader, but, you know, not everybody needs to be a CEO or a president. There's a big role for support people who can be very happy if they're utilizing their own skills and talents and spiritual gifts. I think that's the key, Fred, is really that people are doing what they've been gifted to do, you know, what God has called them to do, so to speak. Can you discover that in part by looking at the giftings? And so you certainly wouldn't want to be doing something that you're not suited for. You probably won't be as successful at it. So I think your your unique combination of gifts, skills, and abilities really led naturally to what you ended up doing, you know, being the president of New York Life. Exactly. And, And, you know, I was asked to write an article a couple of weeks ago 
on uh, what one should think about in preparing to change their career, move on to something different with so many people right now kind of reimagining their future coming out of the pandemic. And the first thing I said in that article was identify what you're really passionate about and then identify your spiritual gifts. And you need to be in a position where you can do that. You know, a lot of people campaign for jobs and positions for the wrong reason. They campaign to get a title or a compensation level. But you know, many times that can be damaging to your health, to your marriage, to your family relationships. You might not even sleep well, you know, given you're under stress. But if you're following your passions and using your spiritual gifts, you got to be happy when you're following the Lord's calling for you. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about as you're describing that, if it's like not a good fit, it's the same as trying to put on a shoe that doesn't fit you. Maybe you wear a size 10 and you're squeezing your foot into a size seven. That's going to be painful and it's not sustainable over the long term. So you're saying pay attention to what size you really are and find a good fit and, and serve in that way. That's what I'm really hearing and part of what you're saying. And that's really good advice, having people to pay attention to where their passions are and also where they're gifted. So it's both at the same time. Quick story is when I went to New York Life, I sent a letter to them. I didn't use a headhunter or recruiter. And I sent a letter with a resume attached. And at the end of the resume, I put 12 references. Two of those references were people earlier in my career whom I had fired. And I did that because it was highly unusual that those two people, they were in the wrong job at the wrong time and I didn't have another position for them. And I knew they were very unhappy. Those two people made an appointment to come and see me later, two or three years later, and thank me because it changed their lives when they pursued something that was more suited to their own gifts and skills. Now that's not gonna happen all the time when you fire people. But I, I thought it was a great story to tell. A leader does have to occasionally release or change positions for people, but if many times it's in their own best interest. I think quite frequently it is. People just don't realize it at the, at the time because it feels like a crisis of epic proportions and they don't know what they're going to do next and they can't see their way forward, way down the path. However, if they adopt a mindset of faith and to know that all things work together for good, so to speak, they'd be able to look ahead and to say, I don't know how I'm going to land or what's going to happen. However, I do know the one who is guiding me and I will land somewhere where I can serve and be of great benefit. So I think a lot of times when people are not doing well in the workplace, it's exactly for these reasons you've mentioned, it's not the right person in the right place at the right time. So let me dial back a little bit to, let's say, your upbringing in your early years. Tell us a little bit about what you learned from home, what you learned from your family that's also made a difference in how you live your life today and particularly how you walk through your career, your corporate career. I was raised really in a lower middle income class family, economic class. My parents were not practicing Christians. Um, that may surprise you a bit. I really came to my faith through a mystical adolescent experience when I was 12 years old. And I won't go through the whole story, but I was at home alone kind of contemplating a number of difficult questions in my mind. Even at 12, who is this guy, Jesus? 
is God really around? Did God really create the universe and the earth and all the things in it? Will God be with me forever? And is he with me now? And I, I really had this experience where it was almost like an out-of-body experience where I felt I was lifted up off the bed that I was lying on in the hands of God. I felt God's presence very palpably, although I didn't have a vision and I didn't hear any audio words from God. I really felt God's presence. And God was saying to me, you know, let me reassure you, I am with you. I will be with you always. And answers to your questions will come in time. And that, that kind of gave me a strong faith and a burning desire to learn more. And really, ever since then, I've had this strong faith. When I pray, I'm confident and I trust that I'm being heard and that the right thing will happen, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like the right thing to, you know, to each of us. That was kind of how it all began. And and my parents were, were good people. They, they talked about uh, the Bible. They talked about the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule and so forth. But, uh, you know, I had the disadvantage of not having attended church as much as most of my friends and not hearing all the rich stories of the Bible. So that kind of is what encouraged me later to go to divinity school. Okay, so it sounds like your parents were laying some sort of foundation, even though they weren't fully immersed in that themselves. And the faithfulness of God, I see in the story that even as a young person, you're seeking God, you're seeking answers. And he spoke to you, I'm, I'm saying speak not with an audible voice, yeah. but he certainly did speak through those circumstances to you to let you know, I'm here, I'm with you, I exist. And in time, those things you want to know about, the answers will unfold. I think that's pretty powerful because even if we think about Psalm 139, it talks about how that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And even in our mother's wombs, God knows how he's knitting us together, so to speak. So God already knew what he had planned for your life. You didn't know yet all of the details. And he's just reassuring you at 12 that everything is going to work out and everything is going to be fine. So I really love that because there may be young people listening who can just say to themselves, God cares about me too. Just like Jesus would say to his disciples when they were trying to turn the little children away, he says, no, don't forbid the children from coming. And he blessed the little children who came. So I think that God is not just a God of adults, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you know, Dr. Karen, I, th I think my testimony is really enhanced, uh, strangely enough, by that background, because I didn't go through the childhood years where you're very impressionable and the, your parents are taking you to church. You know, sometimes I wish I had, but on the other hand, you know, it's something that I came to on my own. I'm a left brain kind of guy, you know, math, science, actuary. You think I bias more towards pure science as opposed to religion and faith. But, you know, I've been impacted by that one experience and by many, many more since then. It's been my um, understanding too, Fred, that the more you really understand science, in a sense, the easier in a way it is to truly believe that there is a God, to see his handiwork just around us every day. The universe is fearfully and wonderfully made too, how everything works together in its own perfect um, rhythm and, and order and so on. That inspires awe. You know, and if you really look at it, 
there's really not as much conflict between true science and true faith. In fact, one of the most compelling, profound experiences I had, and it was a work-related experience, was I was uh, on the board of our company in India, and I got invited. uh, I was there for a board meeting, and our partner in India owned clinics and hospitals, and they invited me to come to visit their new cardiac facility. And to make a long story short, they asked me if I wanted to observe a procedure, and I did, not knowing I would walk into the operating room a foot away from a quadruple bypass surgery in progress. And I mean, it was a profound spiritual experience to see an open chest cavity and a beating heart. I mean, how often do you really think about your heart beating? But it goes on and on and on. It doesn't stop. It's very rhythmic. It it adjusts to your body actions and movements. And it's incredible. I mean, it's it's just remarkable, God's creation, not only in the human, but in a, in a lot of other things that we observe. That's a great example. It's just a, a question of if we have eyes to see and ears to hear what we will pick up and what we will observe along the way. So let right. me ask you this, Fred, how difficult was it for you to maintain your Christian values and your priorities while in the secular workplace, what challenges or pushback did you really get from other people? Frankly, it was not that difficult. I prayed often during the workday, sometimes, you know, 10 times or more during the workday. Work I was faced as president of the company. You know, at that time, we had 65,000 employees and agents, very big company in 12 countries. And, um, you know, I was faced with challenges every day. And many times I would be sitting in a meeting and I'd say to say to myself, I don't really know how to deal with this. <laughs> okay. And I pray. I, I pray to the Holy Spirit to guide me. I trusted that I would be guided. And often there was a short prayer I learned once from a, a father, John Ricardo, who was in charge of uh, pastoral support in, in his uh, parish. He would often get phone calls from people who were in crisis of some sort, suicidal or whatever. What he used to say to himself was a very simple prayer. Lord, I can't, you can, please do. Mm. I found myself saying that pretty often and trusting that I would get the right words to say and the right thing to do, knowing that I wasn't really smart enough to handle it on my own. So, yeah, I brought it into the workplace for sure. I, I really didn't get much pushback. Even to the point where I talk about my five priorities in life, which really were in this order, relationship with Christ, my wife, my family, my job, and my leisure and volunteer activity. I've even said that a few times in front of the board of directors. And you can imagine, you know, the pushback or, or, or the challenge with that is you often got those five things upside down, you know, and you the job became most important. But imagine telling the board of directors as president of the company that the job is number four on my priority list. I mean, and there's only five and things it, on there and it's number four. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I must admit it was a struggle. But the fact that you articulate those things to yourself frequently allows you to keep them in balance and, and keep an alignment and, and move them back into the right appropriate balance when they get out of it. It makes me think about Matthew 6 and uh, the whole discourse from 25 to 34 and the notion that 
seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's like, yeah, it could be number four, because if you have the right number one, two and three, then number four will take care of itself, so to speak. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't know that. They don't understand that that's really an outcome of having the, the right priorities at the top of the list, in essence. So that's a really important reflection that you came to also on your own at work and in your life. So Fred, let me ask this. If someone was working for you, and this is this would just require you just to reflect and have a little imagination, and maybe they were not a person of faith, okay? And they understood where you were coming from, the things that you were saying, what would even be a benefit to a person who's not a person of faith, but they're working for a boss such as yourself? How might that person even be benefited in the workplace? Well, I, I think that they can have confidence that, you know, I am going to act with a, a strong degree of integrity. I'm not going to play games. I'm, I'm not going to do political things to try and hurt them. You know, I'm there to help them. I always used to say I hired people who were smarter than I was in their particular discipline. And I I would tell them that, you know, I'm not intimidated by genius. I give it an environment in which to flourish. And I think when you tell somebody like that, not only are they complimented that I've implied they're a genius, but but also that, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to develop them and give them an environment in which they can flourish. If all of your people feel that way and understand that, it ultimately is going to benefit the company to a great degree, that people feel comfortable that they're being developed, they're being helped. And, you know, they're being told when they need constructive criticism, they're being told. And when they need to be praised, they're praised. One of the other things I always used to say is praise in public, but if you're going to offer criticism, do it in private. You know, don't humiliate someone publicly because if the litmus test of leadership is they will follow, who's going to follow somebody who humiliates you or embarrasses you? Absolutely, for sure. And and I think it's important because some people fear They fear the unknown and they wonder, oh, if I have this boss who really is a person of faith, that's not going to be good for me. And and you've really outlined the benefit. They know they're going to get a person of integrity, somebody who's really for them and not against them, who's willing to develop them and so on, and who can see the genius in them and want to see that flourish and benefit the company. So I think that's pretty profound and pretty powerful. You know, you also mentioned, and I talked about it a little bit in the bio, that Sometimes there may have even been some really difficult things that might have happened along the way, some major setbacks. What's an example of something that you might refer to as a setback, particularly at work, if there was one there or even in life, where you believe that your faith walk really made a difference? There was a period early in the career uh, where I felt, you know, financially we were struggling And I even consulted a bankruptcy attorney. I thought I might have to go declare bankruptcy. There was a time, there were a couple of times when I thought I might get fired just because things weren't going quite the way everybody wanted. I, at New York Life, I convinced them to exit a couple of businesses. That was not a popular decision among many of the people. Um, especially the field force and, and, you know, the agents who sold for the company. 
And those things, you know, were difficult decisions. I felt like I was being guided appropriately to do them, but I knew I was taking a risk. Maybe the biggest disappointment of my career is I had worked on a very, very big partnership uh, with a with uh, Fannie Mae back when I was uh, I wasn't president yet, but I worked on this very big partnership that was going to produce billions of dollars of premium insurance premium that looked like it went through right up to the final stages until it was in Congress. And Congress would not give Fannie Mae the exception they wanted to allow this purchase of insurance. So it suddenly it, it was gone. And it, and it was something that I thought we had accomplished. Even that one turned out well because we took the concept we were putting in place with them and applied it in banks where it wasn't an issue that the banks could do what they wanted with insurance. It was called bank-owned life insurance, BOLI, B-O-L-I. The lemon turned into lemonade. I mean, it, it really was a marvelous outcome from something that appeared to be devastating. Those are fabulous examples. I mean, I love the word you used earlier, but you were taking risk. You were taking some risk. You weren't completely sure how all of them were going to turn out, and other people watching you weren't so sure they agreed or thought this was a good path of direction. And there were some financial challenges. And yet in the end, things did work out maybe differently than how you had originally imagined. However, it was still for the benefit and the upside of the company nevertheless. And so I think that when we're taking those kinds of risks, having divine guidance is helpful. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I trusted in it and I relied on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me turn to your book directly. You've referenced your book several times along the way, and I want to mention it again. This third book you've written, Fast Starting a Career of Consequence, Practical Christ-Centered Advice for Entering or Re-Entering the Workforce. You talked about how that you wrote this book because it brought together the different components of your life. Was that the reason you wrote the book? I mean, why did you write it, first of all? Well, it, it started when my daughter, my one of my daughters, Dina, came out of college, graduated from college, had a hard time finding a job. She was a French major, but she found a job in a very large global cosmetic company. And after a few months, she said to me, Dad, you know, this is very boring. I, I feel overqualified for this job. You know, how can I get noticed at work? And I, I was at that point the president of New York Life, and I, I said to myself, you know, how would I notice somebody deep down in the organization? And I really thought long and hard about tips I could give my daughter. I gave her five tips. She implemented them and did extremely well. And then I wrote an article about that. And uh, MarketWatch.com, you know, big blog uh, owned by the Wall Street Journal, somebody saw the article. And they asked me to expand upon tip number five, that they would put it up on their blog. And they did, you know, to make a long story short, my uh, literary agent saw that blog posting and he called me, he said, Fred, you've got another book here. And I said, well, I hadn't really thought of that, but I said, you know, I'm gonna have to talk about my faith in this book. And he said, well, of course it's in your DNA. 
And that, that was really the beginning when I started to write the book. And the book has five biblical principles in the workplace and 10 chapters. I, I expanded on the five tips I gave my daughter. There's now 10 tips in the book. And it, it really was, you know, a combination where it's integrated. The chapters on the biblical principles talk about work experiences. The chapters on business-related tips talk about how biblical principles applied in those experiences. So it really, my daughter, that same daughter calls it my opus magnum, you know, it's my, my best work yet, because it's, and it's relevant right now, because so many people are thinking about reimagining their careers and starting new jobs uh, and re-entering the workforce. So it, it really was a timely experience, you know, in God's perfect timing. Well, you know, you, you can't just leave a cliffhanger there. You mentioned how that this fifth tip that was in the blog is what got people's attention. What was that fifth tip? We want to know. <laughs> okay, the, the fifth tip, I, I won't explain the whole thing, but the fifth tip was the hardest one for my daughter because she never had any economics, accounting, or even math classes in college. And I said, I want you to get a fundamental understanding of the financial results of the company. And, and I said, you don't need to know you know, every line item in the income statement and the balance sheet, just find somebody in accounting that can give you the background on how the income statement flows into the balance sheet. And then I said, once you get a feel for that, you know, start tracking for your company. It was a company that had public uh, documents. I said, start tracking six numbers, three from the income statement, revenue expenses and net income, three from the balance sheet, the assets, liabilities and net equity, Put it on a spreadsheet and look at it every quarter. I said, you're going to be the only person in your age or maybe the only person who's not in accounting or finance that's watching these numbers. And I, and I said, you know, it's going to differentiate you. You don't have to go around bragging about it, but you will have a feel for it and you'll ask questions. And then the, then the final thing I said to her, and this was the title of the article that Market Watch gave to the article on this fifth tip. They called it the killer question because I said to Dina, go back to your friend in the accounting department and ask the killer question. And she says, what's that? I said, ask it just this way. What drives the profitability of this business? And I said, you, I wouldn't be surprised if the, account, the guy in accounting says, I'll have to get back to you on that. But, and I also wouldn't be surprised if the CEO of the company hears that some girl down in the marketing department is learning about the finances and ask that question. And it, it actually did happen. The CEO heard about her asking that question. So that was tip number five. So we can say that is road tested. It works. Your daughter <laughs> followed it yeah. and she had success. And really, if I unpack what you just said in that fifth tip, you're really sharing with people how to add value to the company and they may not understand how to add value if they don't know how to count it you know what i'm saying and how to see what's the financial impact and no matter what job you have you've got to think about the financial implications in the company in order to make a difference from your role so it's really brilliant advice that you actually gave your daughter and that's in this book for other people to get as well so, yeah, so right. tell them how to get the book <laughs> You can uh, go to my website, which is storiesofgodsgrace.com. No dots or dashes or apostrophes, just one word, storiesofgodsgrace.com. 
or you know it's up on amazon.com barnesandnoble.com a lot of uh, online retailers we also produced a workbook by the way oh. that you know is good for someone who wants to be disciplined and follow the advice in the book and kind of track it in the workbook so both of those are on you know all the websites and online retailers and also on my website Great. And I know when they go to your website, they'll see your other books as well. And the one we're talking about today is Fast Starting a Career of Consequence, Practical Christ-Centered Advice for Entering or Re-Entering the Workforce. So there you have it. Go to storiesofgodsgrace.com, get the book, find out more, see what else Fred has to offer. So Fred, as we're closing things down here a little bit today, what additional words of wisdom do you want to leave from my audience of corporate executives? Well, I, I would just repeat, you know, some of the things I said more succinctly at this point, and that is identify your spiritual gifts, bring them into the workplace, rely on the Holy Spirit through prayer for guidance every day, and, you know, apply the golden rule. You know, a lot of people don't remember the goal. Jesus stated the golden rule. Okay, in the Gospels, you know, apply the golden rule to employees, to co-workers, and to customers, and hire people who are really smart. You know, they're your, they're your greatest assets, and, and you really want people, I, I call them geniuses, but you want people that you can develop and, and will flourish under your leadership. Another thing, one last thing is, I got this expression from the first President Bush in a meeting I had with him where we were talking and he said one of his keys to success and keys to leadership was give credit and take blame. And I thought that was so perfect that you want to be profuse in praising and giving credit to people and take the blame upon yourself. Again, the litmus test of leadership is if they'll follow a person like that, they will follow. Oh, that's just wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You did a beautiful summary, so I don't have to do a summary like I might do, but I will say this, Fred, and I will summarize this. I think one of the things you said that's really important is how important it is to follow what you're passionate about and what you're gifted in. And I would say keeping other people in your sights, you know, your morning routine of doing intercessional prayer for other people is pretty powerful. You weren't just being self-focused. You always had the lens outside, whether it was for people at work or people in your family, which would bring me to the other point about keeping the main thing, the main thing in terms of your priorities, you know, that work was important, but it was number four on the list of five. And by being number four, it actually was able to flourish because of what you had in front of it. I think that's pretty profound and pretty powerful in terms of what you shared today. So Fred, thank you for being here. And I also wanna thank you because you're gonna join me again next time because we've been talking about your life as president of New York Life. You're retired now. You have a whole new retired life and you referenced going to divinity school, even in this segment. We're gonna talk more about that what led you to do that? We're going to talk about that next segment. What are you doing now is what we're going to talk about. Because some people don't know that there's really life after retirement. So <laughs> I'm going to invite everyone to come back and join us again next time as we talk more about that. 
So, Fred, anything else you want to say before I do our final wrap up? I'm looking forward to that next session, Dr. Karen. Thank you Excellent. for having me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, too, because I'm knocking on the door of retirement myself. But anyway, <laughs> so let me end with this Bible verse, which is Romans 12, 1, which says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And thank you, Fred, for living your life in such a way that you've been a living sacrifice. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist, Ron McMillan, for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.